following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you. In Haiti, we would say bonjour. You can say that. There you go. In Texas, we say hi to y'all. There you go. You may be seated. I am a Texan, and I am proud to be a Texan. Yes, I am. All of you people from New York got here as fast as you could. Yeah. We are so glad to be at CLC, one of the great partners that God has brought to us at Haiti. And we're so thankful for that partnership that this church has. So every month, the faithfulness of congregations like this helps us to do what God has called us to do. We've been in Haiti for 20 years. And um, some incredible things that God helps us to do is education. There's no public education in Haiti. So if a person goes to school, they go to school through the church. So we get an opportunity not only to teach them to add and to read and to write, but also about the love of God. So that's what's incredible about education in Haiti. We started 20 years ago with 212 students, where now we have over 7,000 students. And we're very thankful. We started in two villages, and now we have a presence in 20 villages. We started feeding 212 children a day peanut butter sandwiches because that's all we had to where today in Haiti and tomorrow in Haiti and every day of the year in Haiti, we feed over 92,000 people a day a meal like was packaged by this church yesterday. To God be the glory and thank you for the friendships. I could tell you a lot of numbers, but let me tell you the greatest number that happens in the country of Haiti. You can hear a lot, you can read a lot, you can see a lot. But I'm going to tell you the bottom line of the greatest number that you need to know that happens in Haiti. In 2017, through the ministry that God has given us in the country of Haiti, 1,750 people came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. Get excited about that. So far this year, not counting the month of July, but through the month of June, we have had 397 people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we're thankful for that. Very, very, very grateful for that. Because that's what eternity is about. That's what matters. That's what matters is that people come to know the Christ of Calvary. Would you stand feet? Let's read God's word. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, they're going to have it on the screen. Pastor and staff, thank you so much for the honor of being at CLC. Second Samuel chapter number 9, I'm going to read two verses, verse number 1 and then verse number 12. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul? To whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. 
And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. Verse 13, and Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and he was crippled in both feet. You may be seated. My sermon this morning that I leave with you, the deposit that I make in your life this morning, is captured in three words, and I want you to remember those. You belong here. Let me say it again. You belong here. I'm going to take you on a quick journey through some of the stages of David's life. I probably can't tell most of you, if not all of you, many things about David's life that you don't already know. We all know that David was the shepherd boy that was called in after everybody else in his house had been looked at, and he was anointed by Samuel to become king at some point in his life. But I want to pick up with chapter number 17 of 1 Samuel. That's a chapter that tells us and shows us the great story that we've all heard and we've learned uh, about David killing Goliath. Anybody ever heard that story? I mean, is that, that's not, it's not, okay, I thought so, okay. So that's what happens in chapter number 17. After that takes place, David comes to live in the palace so that as a psalmist, as a worshiper, then he can continue to worship and, and his worship then would bring soothing times to Saul because Saul was a troubled man because Saul had began to turn away from his life and his lifestyle for God and not living the way that he should be living for God. In that time of living there in the palace, he meets a young man by the name of Jonathan, one of, one of Saul's sons, and they become best of buds. They'd run up and down the halls of the palace and they would, they would just do different things. I mean, they'd play video games from daylight to dark and then they'd go out and throw the ball around and throw javelins at each other and see who could do- dodge this and dodge. I don't know. Maybe they roped goats. I don't, I don't know what all that they did, but they become best of friends. They become such good friends that they made a covenant with each other. If you know anything about covenants in the Old Testament, there were three things that's done when you make covenant. One thing is that the two people will take and they'll make a small slit in their wrist and they'll hold those wrists together and and the the, the blood, is it co-mingled, they would hold it over a common cup and it would drop into that cup and they had made covenant and eventually they would drink that common cup together. The other thing they would do is they would exchange a garment with each other. Jonathan is the son of a king, so he's got some pretty good clothes. And David's a shepherd boy. His is not so good. And then they would exchange a piece of armament. Saul, uh, Jonathan was made by the finest of, of, of craftsmen in that nation. And he would have the best of swords because he's the son of Saul. He's the son of the king. And David was a slain cut out of a mesquite tree or gopher tree, I don't, you know, just made. It was something that he had made to use to kill a lion, to kill a bear, to take care of his dad's sheep. So they had made covenant with each other in chapter number 18. If you go down to chapter number 19 through 30 of 1 Samuel, 
There's many times in these chapters that, da- that David's life was at stake. Saul had become angry with him, he'd become jealous of him, and he tried many times in many ways to take David's life out, to snuff him out, to just get rid of him, to make sure he wasn't on planet Earth anymore. That was kind of strange to me, because if you know the relationship between Saul and David, one of the things that back in chapter 17 that Saul had said to all men that had came to the battle is the man that kills Goliath is number one going to get to marry my daughter. Now, I don't, I mean, there's no pictures in the Bible, so I don't know if that's a good deal or not. The second part of what's going to happen to the person, the man that kills Goliath, is he's going to be tax-free, him and his family, for the rest of his life. Hallelujah. Got one over here that's glad to be tax-free. Tax-free for the rest of your life. No more April the 15th in our life. Isn't that beautiful? So... I didn't understand why from that standpoint, but I began to understand as I began to read this life of these two men together. Here's what would happen. When Saul and David and the army would come back from battle, then Saul, of course, is leading the way through the gates of the city. And he's on the finest of steeds, and he's dressed the, to the nines. I mean, he is really ready. He, he's probably got on a shirt like this. says, I love Atex. You know, prob, prob, probably got on something like that. And he rides in through the gate. And, and the women's praise team is at the gate. And, and they've got themselves ready. And Saul begins to come through the gate. And the praise team begins to sing something like, Saul has killed his thousands. And, and, and Saul's feeling good about that. I mean, he's making sure that the, the, the headgear's on right, and he's checking out his chest a little bit more, and he's kicking that horse to go a little bit faster and, and, and really looking good. But all of a sudden, then David would start through, and the second chorus would begin. And here's what they'd begin to sing. But David, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Well, that's good for David, but Saul didn't like that. And I believe that what happened in that time that caused Saul to be so offended at, 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 at David, his son-in-law, the man that had saved that nation by killing Goliath, is I believe there came a spirit of jealousy into Saul's life. You've killed a thousand Hey, your son-in-law's done 10,000. But listen to me. There's one key thing I want you to know before I go to my next statement. Don't let jealousy have a camping spot in your life. Just don't let it have it. There's no place for it. There's no need for it. You'll never strive enough to overcome whatever you're looking at that you think somebody has that's better than what you've got. I, I, I've got a 2006 Dodge one-ton dually that I use down to, to run a few cows that I've got that's got more dents in it than anything that set out in a hailstorm. It's got it because my cows love my truck. Because when I pull in the pasture, I've got cubes in the back, and they know 
I'm bringing them something. And so one gets jealous over the other one. And so they'll push on the door. They'll push on the fender. They'll do the, they tore the tailgate off of the thing. I mean, it is a mess. It stinks inside. It stinks on the outside. Air conditioner doesn't work on it. And you know what that's like in Texas. But I love that old truck. I really love that truck. Until I pull up next to somebody that's in an air-conditioned truck and clean. And all of a sudden, there rises up inside of me, and I say, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you see, I've got the title in my glove box. I don't owe nobody nothing. And they're writing out a check every month to Chrysler Credit or GMAC or PNC Bank. And I'm sitting there saying, thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all leave me alone. I got to get through here. We got to go on to the next time, okay? So, so 30, chapter 31, 1 Samuel, Saul and Jonathan and the other two sons are killed in battle. 2 Samuel chapter number 2, David begins to reign. And the first place David begins to reign is over Judah. The nation's divided in two. The first one the Bible talks about, he reigns over Judah. There's a reason that he began to reign over Judah. Judah simply means praise. means worship. Okay? So if you've got things in your life that you need to conquer and you need to reign over, you need to begin to reign over them in your praise. You don't wait until you see everything right. You don't wait until the, you've stayed and colored with inside the lines. You don't need to wait and make sure everything's perfect. You need to begin your day and live your day in a spirit and an attitude of praise. Praise is who I am. Praise is what I do. I don't sing. Nobody's ever called me up to do a concert or given me a microphone and said, do this. But I'm a praiser. I'm a worshiper. I wake up and start my day with God. I thank you. I didn't have nightmares last night. I thank you for what I had to eat. I thank you, God, for the air I've got to breathe today. I thank you, God, for a dented up pickup that smells like a bunch of cows. So begin your day with praise, and that's how David began to reign. Chapter number 5, he began to reign over Israel. The second half, you see, when you reign with praise, when you reign with your praise and your worship, you can take care of everything else in your life. Chapter number 6, David goes, and he finds the Ark of the Covenant, and he brings it back. He brings it back to worship, and he brings it back to order. You see, the anointing will not be where worship is not, and it won't be where order is not. You understand what I'm saying? So there had to get worship in place. There had to get order in place for there to get anointing in place. And understand this, the anointing doesn't break anything because anything broken can be fixed. The anointing destroys yokes. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Second Samuel chapter number 9, we read that verse. David sent, and he said, Is there any that's left of the house of Saul? See, what was taking place in David's life is he began to remember the covenant that I talked to you about that they had made together. Every time that David would go take his bath, every time he'd lift his hands in worship and his arms in worship, 
he'd see the scar. He'd remember covenant. He's worshiping, but he's remembering covenant. When I think about that, when I lift my hands in worship earlier in our service, when I begin my day in worship, I remember the scars on Jesus. Covenant that he made at Calvary with you, sir, and with me. Covenant that God made with us. David gets through with his bath and he goes to find the robe that he's wearing that day. As he begins to search through, do I want blue? Do I want green? Do I want this color? Do I want that color? Over there in a cleaner's bag is one. He pulls up the cover and he looks and he said, that's what Jonathan gave me. I remember covenant. I, 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 gave, I, I didn't have much to give him, but he gave me the best that he had. Think about the man that made covenant with you, that gave you the best that he had. His name is Jesus. He exchanged his righteousness for your unrighteousness. Yes, he did. He'd get dressed for the day. He'd sit down, get the Jerusalem Gazette and get his cup of coffee, his latte. He'd sit there and he'd begin to read the paper and drink his coffee and he'd look over above the mantle. There hung a sword that had been by Jonathan's side. He'd look, he'd see the craftsmanship that was in that and he would remember, I just gave him a slingshot and he gave me the best that he had. Does that sound familiar to somebody named Jesus that gave you the very best that he had his stripes on your back for your healing his nail scars for your redemption that remembers covenant to me so in verse number three of that chapter there's such a picture of Jesus because I believe ladies and gentlemen whether it's Austin Texas whether it's Tita Yen Haiti whether it's the entire country of Haiti whether it's in the Dallas Metroplex where I live or any city, any country, anywhere, I believe Jesus looks over people and he remembers covenant that took place at Calvary. And he says in CLC this morning to people that walked in here, is there anyone left that I've made covenant with that needs to come home? You belong here. Is there anybody God's calling out for you, and he's reaching out for us this morning. So the servant answers, David said, yes. In verse number four, he said, he's down in Lodibar. Lodibar simply means, by definition, it's a nowhere place. It's at the end of the road. There's not a cul-de-sac. It's at the end of the road. It's a nowhere place. And sometimes life that you and I are living takes us to live in Lodibar. We get hurt, we get offended, we get abused, we get fired from a job, we lose income, we file bankruptcy at times. All kinds of life happens to all of us in this building. And sometimes when life happens, we make a choice to pack up all of our stuff in a little box and say, I'm leaving the house of God, I'm leaving the presence of the church, I'm leaving the leadership of the church, and I'm going to go to Lodi Bar, I'm going to go to some place where nobody 
nobody else is at and nobody can find me. I'm going there. But did you know that God is going to send an, uh, uh, an envoy after you? God's going to send. It's called the Holy Spirit. And in your midnight hour, in the middle of your mess, God's going to send the Spirit in there and say, no, 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 no. I didn't create you for that. I created you for covenant with me. What God's going to do. That's what God's going to do. That's what God's going to do. So David sent for him in verse number five. In verse number six, Mephibosheth comes into the presence of the king. I believe that on the journey from Lodibar back to the palace of the king, I believe this crippled young man, you see, he was dropped at birth or early in life, and it crippled him on both of his feet. He walked with the limp. He, he had issues in, in, in getting around. I believe on his journey back to the king's palace, he began to think, what in the world is King David going to do to me? My granddaddy tried to kill him many times. What is he going to do? I'm fearful. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to expect. They didn't tell me when they come to Lodi Bar and they found me. They just said, the king wants you. It's time to come. It's time to go with us. The king wants you. The king wants you. The king wants you. And so they got him into the place and he's on his way back. And he walks into the presence of David. And it's protocol when you are not the king and you walk into the presence of the king to bow in the presence of the king. And I believe that he did. He got to his knees and he began out of fear, trembling there. David gets up off of the throne and he walks over. He finds that young man. I believe David began to run his hands through his hair. He began to feel the coarseness of it or the fine hair that was there. He began to think, that's like your daddy's. It's, it's, it's curly, like your daddy. That's not a permanent. <laughs> you, you didn't put enough dope in that to make it like that. That's just like your daddy's. He's thinking these things to himself because he's remembering covenant. And I think he took his hand, hand of a king, and he lifted the head of a crippled man. And he looked into his eyes. I believe he took a while to look into there. As he looked, he remembered those times that play chase and hide and seek. And he'd come around a corner and he'd find Jonathan and scare him. And Jonathan's eyes get real big. And he remembered that. He, re- he, he rehearsed all of the times in, that he and Jonathan had talked about what they were going to do when they got to be grown. And how they were going to live life and what they was going to do in life. He looked in those eyes and he said, you got your daddy's eyes. You look just your daddy. I'm here to tell somebody at CLC this morning and some of you that are watching us via the internet. There's a man that gave his life for you and he come to tell you this morning you look just 
like your daddy. Your DNA comes from Calvary. You understand what I'm telling you. You look just like your daddy. My daddy's Fred Barker never accomplished much of anything in his life but, but creating seven of us. I'm the middle and the favorite. Somebody say amen to that. But when people see me that knew my dad, then they say, you Fred's boy, aren't you? I say, yeah, I'm Fred's boy. I'm Fred's favorite. Don't forget that. I'm the middle. I'm Fred's favorite boy. But what's more important to me is when I'm sitting on an airplane, when I'm at a gas station, when I'm in Starbucks, when I'm somebody, someplace, somebody can look at me and say, you look just like your daddy. They're not talking about Fred. They're talking about Jesus Christ of Calvary. It's not because I got my Bible out and I'm reading it. It's not because I'm praying in tongues. It's not because I'm shouting, but it's because I'm living right and I'm doing right and I'm treating other people right. That's the DNA of Christ. For God so loved the world. I'm bringing this to a close. His hair, you look, your eyes, you look like. I'm going to tell you something that's going to happen to you for the rest of your life, young man. You're going to stay here in the palace. And you're going to eat at my table. But David, King, I'm crippled. I drug a foot coming in here this morning. I'm handicapped. Nothing's ever done that made me be. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not worthy to live in the king's palace. I'm not. No, 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 no. For the rest of your life, you're going to come and you're going to eat at my table. You see, for the rest of your life, for the rest, pastor said I could, so I'm going to. Sorry, TV. For the rest of your life. You're going to sit at my table. Here's a beautiful picture about this. And pastor's getting ready to come. The beautiful picture is Mephibosheth, you come on this side of the table. Because you see, on this side of the table, if you've ever gone to a fine dining establishment, and the tablecloth that they have reaches all the way to the floor. And people on that side cannot see your crippleness from this side. God covers us. God covers us. So I don't care what you come into this house crippled with this morning. I don't care what you've been dealing with all of your life. You may carry the sting of that. You may carry the limp. You may carry that problem all the rest of your life to glory. But I'm telling you one thing. You belong here in Jesus' name. Would you stand at your feet right now? Pastor's coming. Pastor's coming. Pastor's coming. You belong here. You belong here, ladies and gentlemen. Stop by the table. Service is over. Let's say hi to each other.